0: Welcome to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Tuber Talk is produced by Potatoes in Canada magazine. You've tuned in to hear about the people and the ideas making a difference in the Canadian potato industry. Hi everyone, and welcome to our last episode of Tuber Talk for the season. I'm Stephanie Gordon, your host and the editor of Potatoes in Canada magazine. And yes, you did hear me correctly. This episode is our last episode of Tuber Talk before you go on a break for the summer. We plan to be back in the fall, so be sure to subscribe to be notified when we release a new episode. For today, in almost a poetic coincidence, we'll be hearing from Bob Larkin, who was my first Tuber Talk interviewee ever. Back during Manitoba potato production days, Bob Larkin presented on disease-suppressive crops, And I caught up with him after to discuss this more. We talked about the different ways crops can lower disease pressure, what growers in Maine in the United States are doing, and all about soil health more broadly.
1: Uh, My name is Robert Larkin. I'm a research plant pathologist with USDA ARS in Orono, Maine.
0: And what is the kind of work that you do?
1: I work with mainly biological and cultural control of uh, soil-borne potato diseases. I work a lot with rotations, cropping systems, disease-suppressive crops, soil microbiology, soil health.
0: And you were here at Manitoba Potato Production Days talking about disease-suppressive crops, adding that into the rotation. But before you started your presentation, you really talked about the importance of soil health. Can you talk about why soil health is important for potato production particularly?
1: Okay. Well. Potato production is particularly hard on soil because of its extensive tillage operation involved in in hilling and digging potatoes. Potatoes produce almost no residues that get incorporated back into the soil, so it's not restoring organic matter. It's also generally grown in fairly short rotations, so there's not a lot of other opportunities for to maintain or build soil health. So so it's it's really crucial that growers incorporate practices that are gonna help maintain and improve soil health within their potato cropping systems.
0: And what is the correlation between poor soil health and disease pressure?
1: Well, that's closely related. Um, when you have poor soil health, uh, you have conditions such as inadequate drainage, poor soil structure, uh, low microbial activity, low organic matter. And those are all things that can lead to, to more diseases. So. Practices that help improve soil health will, in general, improve soil-borne diseases. Just improving soil health may not remove soil-borne diseases, but you're going to have less soil-borne disease problems in any soil that has that has a good level of soil health in that it's, it's got good organic matter, it's got good nutrient cycling, in it, and it does all of the things that we want a soil to be able to do.
0: Okay, and so you talked about planting different crops, and they work in different ways. You mentioned, you know, some are not host crops, so they break the pathogen, pathogen cycle. Some just help with soil organic matter, which is what you're talking about, how if your overall health improves, you're more resilient to diseases. And then the other ones actually lower the pathogen. Can you expand a bit more on that and maybe give an example of each?
1: In, in general, we think of crop rotations as, as being just kind of a break from, from your main Crop and so uh, that just has to do with the rotation length. The, the longer you're out of potatoes, whatever pathogen is involved will will decrease in quantity because there's no host crop available. But other crops have the ability to to more directly affect soil-borne diseases and soil pathogens. Uh, one mechanism is through is through this kind of buildup of soil health properties, which. Increasing organic matter uh, having a more extensive root system that leads to more extensive soil microbiology and all of these things can help stimulate microbial activity diversity leads to a general suppression of of pathogens and diseases and it may also uh, help stimulate more beneficial organisms that are antagonistic to pathogens the third mechanism has to do with the plant crop itself is directly inhibiting the pathogens and reducing those. And in that case, the plant products themselves produce compounds that, when broken down, release volatile toxins or compounds that in, that can kill or in, inhibit pathogen growth. They also can reduce nematodes and weeds, seeds. And it, through a process that's similar to using a chemical fumigant, plants in the, in the in the brassica family Produce compounds called glucosinolate, which break down to produce isothiocyanates, which are a similar chemical product as, as are as are produced with compounds such as metham sodium, which is a chemical fumigant. But this is a biological production of it, and the uh, by incorporating the plant material, chopping and incorporating the plant material, it releases these gases, and you get a biofumigant effect, which reduces populations of these pathogens. In addition. Many of these disease-suppressive crops also alter the soil microbial communities in ways that may or may not be the same or different from these biofumigation properties. They also, in the compounds that these plants produce, change the soil microbial composition to some degree, and those also can be directly inhibitory to pathogen compounds. And reduction of soil-borne diseases.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're seeing that kind of increase in soil organic matter with like forage and grass crops?
1: Crops that produce a large amount of biomass will help increase organic matter in the in the soils when it's turned back into the soil. Those that have produced extensive root systems, uh, some of the fi- more fibrous and extensive root systems like some of the grasses in that, they, they also will produce more below-ground biomass and increase rhizobacteria, which are bacteria that are closely associated with plant roots, and uh, a lot of these are protective of plants. They they promote growth in plants, and increasing populations of those also can help produce uh, these pathogens in the soil uh, through this buildup of organic matter and, uh, and soil microbial activity.
0: And for the brassica crops like canola, what is their predominant effect?
1: Well, with canola, which canola has been bred to not produce as much of these glucosinolate compounds at least in the seed they still produce it in other parts of the plant but not but to a lower degree than some of these high glucosinolate brassicas such as the mustards so they still have can have some of this biofumigant effect but not to the de- degree that the mustards do however they seem to have more of a role in in this alteration of soil microbial communities, in that we've seen, particularly in their effect against uh, Rhizoctonia solani, which causes uh, stem canker and black scurf on potatoes, that we've seen actually, in some cases, more efficacy against that pathogen than some of the other products do. And it, and it does seem to be related more to this change in soil microbial communities than it does have to do with the biofumigation effect.
0: And what are you seeing Maine producers gravitate towards? What are some of their go-to cover crops that you feel that, they, that are really popular with producers?
1: Well, we have seen in the last several years a lot more adoption of using brassicas in, uh, in rotation in potato crops. First, they just we traditionally had not grown a lot of canola in Maine, but with some of the work that we've done uh, showing that canola can be beneficial, we have had more growers use canola as a rotation crop. In the last several years, we've had a lot more people interested in these use of these biofumigant mustards, those that, that, that have the strong biofumigant effect force its effects on verticillium and common scab and that. So just within the last several years, a lot of growers have started growing these uh, biofumigant mustards and have, have, have seen definite improvement uh, with them.
0: And in your presentation, you mentioned about how mustard it shouldn't be treated like a cover crop. There is some management that needs to be put into that. Can you expand what you meant?
1: Okay. Well, that, that is, you know, a, a, a lot of growers put a lot of effort in their potato crop, but a lot less effort on their on their cover crop. So they may plant a cover crop and then just let it grow and see what happens with it, particularly fall cover crops. They just might plant a winter rye, and then, you know, what they get out of it, they get out of it. it it's just It's just basically to help erosion and, and, and that sort of thing. They don't really put a lot into it and don't expect a lot out of it. For these biofumigate mustards, in order to get the most out of it, you do need to treat them very carefully and with specific management practices. They do require fertilization as as would any production crop. So so you need to add nitrogen. They also in a lot of cases need sulfur added because sulfur is one of the compounds that's involved in these biofumigant production. So generally, you want a 6 to 1 ratio of nitrogen to sulfur. So whatever you you put on a nitrogen, you want a a corresponding amount of sulfur at about that 6 to 1 ratio. Uh, In addition, for these biofumigants to be most active, they do need to be incorporated while they're still green in full bloom. And so that needs to be done carefully, too, that for maximum effect, they need to be plowed down at this full bloom stage. The soil needs to be moist when you do it. And they it works much better if you mow or chop the the crop initially, and then follow that immediately with incorporation to get the most benefit of these mustards. We also recommend that that you do follow those with a fall cover crop because generally, at least under our conditions, this is done. The brassica crop is grown in the summer, and so it's by towards the end of the summer, after you incorporate your 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 mustard, uh, you still got a lot of season there that you will not that the, Field will be fallow, so you're going to want to put in a fall cover crop, and so something like winter rye or a lot of our growers have been using tillage radish for its beneficial effects on on soil health, as far as reduction of compaction. You get pretty good amount of biomass, but it mainly uh, will help with reducing increasing aeration and reducing compaction in soils.
0: And you mentioned compaction. What would you say are kind of the top concerns for, for growers in your area? Is it the disease or is it the soil health? What, what seems to be like a big concern or it's independent towards each field? Well,
1: I think uh, growers are certainly most concerned about the, uh, the, the disease issues, and that's usually why they first turn to wanting to look at these brassicas because they, they have a disease problem and they're, they're looking at, at alternative options for controlling it. The, the sole health aspects may not be their first priority, but it's certainly something they need to be aware of in it and incorporate into their decisions of, of, for these management practices, because it is a very important component. But, but generally, the disease issues are, are going to be primary to what they're concerned about.
0: So if you're a grower and you have some disease concerns that you want to focus on in the upcoming year, what is, what is the process? for adding something into the rotation? What are the resources you can consult? What am I doing as a grower to know that this is going to help in the, in the short term and maybe in the long term?
1: Okay, well, there are a lot of resources available. There are a lot of places that you can go. Uh, uh, extension in, in most of the areas have information on the use of, of these biofumigant mustards and other disease-suppressive crops. So there are a lot of places you can go to look at it. You know, based on our research in Maine, we we generally kind of put all of those together in our recommendations. We don't just recommend something for disease suppression, but kind of we're trying to look at it as the whole package of of, of things that you do that are going to improve your overall production cycle, your your potato cropping systems. So so we're looking at increasing the length of the rotations. Most most growers in Maine are still on a two year Rotation where it's just potato followed by a grain crop, then potato again. We're trying to get more to go to a three-year rotation, so you have you have more buildup of soil health and more opportunities for some of these disease suppressive crops to be more effective on their on their soil borne disease. So we, we recommend increasing that rotation where where possible, including a disease suppressive rotation crop in there. You know, either as as a full season summer rotation crop such as the biofumicate mustards, or or a fall cover crop following a grain crop or some other crop that's going to be suppressive to diseases, and particularly that that crop that immediately precedes your potatoes is most crucial. You can get away with putting a crop that's less beneficial to potatoes when it's done after potatoes, but if it's before potatoes, it's going to have more directly affect your potatoes. So so all of those things need to be considered uh, the the rotation the type of crop you're using in rotation, the rotation length, the rotation sequence, and how you're going to use those crops, whether it's going to be as a cover crop or as a green manure or as a, uh, a full season rotation. And yeah, it does vary with the different concerns you have, the different issues you have. And and so designing something that's going to be best for your farm is going to take some, some research into it, but also some trying this out and a small basis on, on the farm to see what's going to work best in your situation.
0: And when it comes to things like soil health, soil, organic matter, these um, take a long time to see the effects. So if you're trying something new on your farm, is it something where you'll try it on for one year or should you really commit to testing it out for three, five years so you know not to give up, basically?
1: Right. Well, th- that's, that's a good point because a lot of these things, it's not like it's not like adding a chemical fumigant where you immediately see that first year, you're going to see a dramatic reduction. You, you should see a reduction, a significant reduction, but, but you're not going to eliminate your, your problem in one or two years. Uh, and some of these other soil health building processes can take many years of so building organic matter. Again, that's not going to happen in one or two years. We've designed our trials so that we are looking at these over the long term. We've got a long-term cropping system study that has been in place for 15 years now, where we're able to look at what these longer-term consequences are. And some of these small incremental changes that may not look like they're having a big effect in those first couple years, after five or six years, they can have more dramatic effect. You know, the other thing we recommend is that you can't really rely on doing one thing and expecting that to, to take care of whatever issue or problem you, you're concerned about, whether that's organic matter buildup or disease suppression or whatever. Uh, you want to incorporate multiple approaches that all kind of build on each other. And and that's how a lot of these, these work, uh, using a disease suppressor rotation crop, cover crop, incorporating green manures where you can, if there's other places where you can add organic amendments, uh, all of these things are, are pieces to the, to the total system that, uh, that each play a role, but they're not going to completely do the whole job in one, in one go. Mm-hmm.
0: And so one of my final questions is, because you're bringing up a lot of good points, but you mentioned that a lot of main growers are still on a two-year rotation, grain, potatoes, grain, potatoes. What do you think is the main pushback against longer rotations or a barrier for uh-uh. them?
1: well that that's the uh the number one problem with going to a longer rotation is an additional cash crop that they can put into that rotation and even in all of our studies that we've done going from that two year to three year rotation when you have potato most of the growers they really only make money on their potato crop their grain crop is is more of a kind of a break even type crop they 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 do produce it and they sell it but but they really don't make much money on it so what we need is another good economic return crop that can be incorporated in those rotations we've shown that in our more productive three year rotations where we've increased to that three year rotation and included something like a canola or something like that in that we can get close to what the same economic return as what they did with potato every other year but it's still usually not quite as economically productive the problem is that those two year rotations over a number of years really starts to degrade your your soil productivity and your yields start going down and you're not getting the production level that you should be getting out of those soils. but it's been difficult for a lot of growers to go that more soil health route because of that economic reality of they need that that additional cash crop besides potatoes that's really going to uh, provide some income in that. Overall rotation, there are options that people are looking at, but there, we haven't a definitive answer for that. But there are several things that that can kind of fill that gap, but but none of them provide the same kind of return as, that that the potato crop does.
0: But you still have to, you still need good yield. So you know, if moving to three years, you're making a little less in those three years. Maybe yeah. in the long run, you're having more stable yield and better soil health and now more stable operation. Maybe maybe it's about the long term. Right. gains versus the bottom
1: line right and uh and, and we have shown a definite economic pluses to to including that year of green manures even though you get no economic return on that green manure brassica because of the benefits it, it gives you to your potato crop it more than makes up for the costs and inputs of that green manure crop it's just that having that the big cash infusion of the potato crop every once every three years instead of every two years and having only somewhat economical rotation crops in that, in that third year uh, is still somewhat of a barrier for, for full-scale adoption.
0: Well, thank you so much for talking sure. to me. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you've been enjoying the show so far, subscribe to stay updated for when we release another episode in the fall. And please leave us a review to help others find the show. To stay connected over the growing season, you can find us on Twitter at Potatoes Canada or by visiting PotatoesInCanada.com to catch up on any industry news. We also send out a monthly email newsletter with the top stories all in one place. You can subscribe by going to our website, PotatoesInCanada.com, and clicking the subscribe button in the top right-hand corner. A massive thank you to everyone who's been listening and reached out to us with positive feedback about the show. We appreciate it. And we'll see you back in the fall. Thank you for listening to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Catch up on all of our other episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts or online at potatoesincanada.com slash podcast.